Welcome to episode 111 of Behind the Mission, a show that sparks conversations with Psychomer trusted partners and educational experts. My name is Dwayne France, and each week I'll be having conversations with podcast guests that will equip you with tools and resources to effectively engage with and support military service members, veterans, and their families. You can find the show on all the podcast players by going to psychomer.org forward slash podcast. Thanks again for joining us and Behind the Mission. Our work and mission are supported by generous partnerships and sponsors who also believe that education changes lives. Our sponsor this week is Comcast. Comcast creates incredible technology and entertainment that connects millions of people to the moments and experiences that matter most. You can find out more about how they support the military-affiliated population by going to corporate.comcast.com forward slash impact forward slash military. On today's episode, I'm featuring a conversation with Dan Coons, Vice Chairman of Task Force Movement and Task Force Cyber. Dan currently works in support of the Department of Defense involving enterprise software and digital transformation, driving enterprise modernization. His prior experience includes working with Fortune 500 organizations across industries, enabling them to drive and deliver outcomes in enterprise technology. He currently serves as an officer in the United States Army Reserves, where his work has focused on workforce and talent management innovation. One brief point that I'd like to make, the audio on Dan's side is a bit wonky on this episode, as sometimes happens when we're having great conversations with real people with real lives. I've done my best to clean it up a bit, but don't let the audio cause you to shut the episode down. I truly believe that you're going to get a lot out of this episode. I know I did. So you can find out more about Dan by checking out his bio on our show notes. So let's get into my conversation with him and come back afterwards to talk about some of the key points. Dan, great to be able to connect with you and glad to be able to have you on the show to continue our conversation in this series talking about task force movement and task force cyber. Before we get into that work, though, I'd like to provide you an opportunity to talk a little bit about your background and from your military service to what you're doing now and why this work with task force movement, and task force cyber is so important to you. Yeah, thank you, Twain. I really appreciate that. Thank you. I have a 13-year career in the United States Army between Guard, Reserves, and Active Duty. And in parallel, because I got to do that work in Guard and Reserves most of the time, I've had a corporate career focused in enterprise technology. So I worked for some of the largest brands in the world, Gardner, VMware, Pivotal, and Elm Service now. And so in those organizations, I've gotten to see the difference between the military and how that organization works than how a private sector for-profit industry works as well. And I've gotten to see the need and the demand for about talent that the private sector has and the talent that the military has, and sometimes how they do not connect with one another. And Task Force Movement is this beautiful organization that we've created out of the Biden administration to link private sector needs and private sector jobs with military talent, military veteran talent, and spouse military veterans who need jobs as well. And so why does this matter? Why is this so important at the very highest level? We have a talent and a workforce shortage at some of our most critical areas. And those most critical areas are supply chain, logistics, and as we've seen by being exacerbated by the COVID-19 pandemic, but also a sideline technology. We have to believe and we have to know that we have to grow our talent within the United States of America because that's some of the threats that we face from a national security perspective are in nations outside of it. But there's also a homegrownness that we have to do when we think of cultivating our own talent. And what better place to start than the military and military veterans and spouses? 
You know, I think that idea, and you talk about your varied experience on the military side, both active duty and then guard and reserve. As we were talking briefly before this, the idea of transition for active duty service members is consecutive one after the other I serve, and then I go into whatever logistics or cybersecurity. But really, it's simultaneous with the Guard and Reserve because you are, if you're not deployed or activated, you're doing your military job, and then the next week or what have you, you're doing your civilian job. And that's something that's almost like you have a foot in both realms. Yeah, I would contend that the model by which we use our military for certain jobs, like data, cyber, technology, that we know that we need to do for the Department of Defense is well served by thinking about flexible employment models and, and job models for guard or reservists, that they can transition in and out of active duty service as needs and demands arise. So I have a true passion for both industry and the way that we create an economy that works but also the way that we protect our country, the work that we do there. And the old model of a single mode employment where you work with the same employer for 20 years, never leave that employer, and you grow up with that organization, I think that's going away. Well, the pension is going away in lieu of blended retirement. So people are going to have incentives to be able to leave service at times, come back in at times, using their guard and reserve status to be able to do that. So, Dwayne, yes, it's a little bit of a different question. When you think about it generally as a linear career path where you do your military service one way, then you leave, you retire, then you go to a different career path if you're so lucky. What I think is probably the way that we're at tactically these problems, especially as part of defining growing needs, is a more flexible employment model. That would be guarded reserve and active duty as three different components across the entire force that allows us to bring talent into organizations that have to be in organizations to solve whatever specific need or mission that is, they come back out of that service, they go back to your private sector job. It really integrates the industry, it integrates the soldier, it integrates the Department of Defense in a way that actually supports achieving a mission. So I think that's probably more what we're going to see, I hope to see, over time. When I think, and especially with things like cybersecurity, like it's changing so fast and you have to be so responsive to what's going on, what's, what a cyber reservist or guardsman may learn in their civilian sector, they can apply in their military training, but then also in their military and civilian sector. Whereas if you're just learning civilian stuff while you're on active duty, those are two separate things. By the time you get out, maybe obsolete. Yeah. I, so I was one of the, one of the first groups within the army that we did a submit a 17 series packet. And so 17 series packet is what cyber is. So I got my designation as a 17 x-ray. So the x-ray meant that I still had to go through my military professional military education, my PME. My PME was going to take me down to Fort Gordon for about a year, a little over a year, to fulfill the Army's requirement for what they said that I needed to be a qualified cyber expert. In my civilian job, I worked with qualified cyber experts every single day, and I worked with CISOs of the organizations, chief information officers of organizations, talking about security postures, talking about the demands and needs for cyber, and talking about these things every day in my life. And so the dichotomy between the military saying that I had to spend a little over a year learning a domain to get the credential by the military that I already possessed on the civilian side didn't make a whole lot of sense to me. So I decided to not pursue the 17 series route because that would have taken me away from my family and away from my life, away from things I do, and actually just decided to pursue what my passion was, which was talent management. How do we figure out how to use people and how do we use a workforce center to achieve the goals that we want to achieve. To your point, the whole notion that 
you need to be on a singular track to possess the skills, experience, requirements. The thing that you need don't just exist in the military. So we need to start to be able to call on people that are exceptional civilian talent and skills that they've learned outside of the Department of Defense, bring them a bit when appropriate and be able to move us forward. I think it's especially important to place like vibrant technology. The pace of change there is so vast. And then obviously we've also seen news recently about the layoffs that have happened in large technology companies. What better place for them to reuse their skills and talents than saying, hey, you know what? I just got laid off by so-and-so company. I have these skills to bear. Let me put back my uniform on. Let me go serve my country for a couple more years. Let's bring those experiences to bear and then come back. I don't think there's any, I don't think there's any, anything wrong with using organizations that you believe in and you're passionate about for where your career is and where you need to be in a more flexible way that makes sense. Yeah, no, I always said that uh, 22 years in the Army, for me, it really was a gig economy, right? We changed jobs every two yeah. or three years. You don't have one particular job, only it was all within the same corporation, so to speak. Now, you're talking a lot about cyber and technology and stuff like that. And we're talking here about task force movement. And it's been interesting to me as I've been digging into this is really, it seems to be sort of two different buckets. And I'll set this up in, in saying that transportation, maybe specifically, and I'll maybe push the point a little bit. It's a little bit low tech, right? It's left foot, right foot, steering wheels in the middle. Like it's transportation as people generally consider it is truck drivers, right? And it, I know it's more than that. But then you also have this task force cyber. But really, I'm getting a sense that it's much more integrated than people think. Yes. So, you know, you're saying that's, uh, that's one of my favorite topic areas uh, to talk about. So, if you believe, like I believe, that the largest barrier to entry is the original barrier to entry to whatever organization you're talking about, then you'll start to see it like what I see, that we need to help people transition from one organization that we care about, which is the Army or the Navy or whatever, Air Force, Space Force, whatever DOD organization we want to talk about, into that next transition point, which is their civilian career. So our job is to help people overcome the original hurdle from how do we get from one place to the next place. That hurdle is the single greatest hurdle for people to understand how to get an organization. That is what goes to industry, it's what goes to skill level, it's what goes to anything. So how do we take an organization here and how do we create a bridge between places? The first point of task force movement isn't to care about the industry or the domain or even the employment, this still is specific employment. What it really is is to help people get from one place to the other place and not just a bridge between organizations. So that's what we regardless of industry, should be regardless of skill set, which should be regardless of anything. That's the primary point of task force movement. Secondarily, now we start to think about what does career fulfillment look like? What skills, what expertise, what work do you want to do from the time that you transition to the next place? What skills do you have to be trained on? So we have been very fortunate to have funding partners that have helped us put together programs. And those programs help individuals, and in one specific instance, we had Afghan refugees that were acting as interpreters or work with the Department of Defense that now live here. We invest them to a program to give them a CDL credential through some of our community partners, which are the Montgomery County and most community college specifically, Pennsylvania. And now we've got them credentials, now we've got them jobs in the trucking industry. We're really pleased to come announce and also work through, we're doing a very similar model with Villanova University and different funding partner to create cyber jobs and cyber credentials for this work as well. So what I'm saying is the first thing we need to do is create a branch to get people from one place to the other place. The second thing that we need to do is help them train and learn how to do the job that they're being asked to do. 
And so you mentioned this as like most people perceive trucking as a low tech industry and the people as truck drivers and those truck drivers are uh, a sort of work. I've done that to be very different from the reality of what I've experienced. I probably had that same perception when I started doing this about a year ago. I didn't realize the skill, competency, and the ability to grow that you have as a truck driver, as if you just start there, right? So I think about an 88 Mike, I think about some, one of the guys that was driving me around or driving our organization around. And those folks had to do PMCF from their vehicles. They had to know how to get from one place to the other place, which is the in itself. They had to understand the world around them and then they had to be able to deliver the thing that they had to deliver where they needed to deliver it. Trucking isn't different. There's so many different flavors of what that looks like. There are folks that have to haul hazardous material or have one sort of thing. There's a different folks that have to do last mile work. There's other folks that do over the road trucking. There's just a lot of different lanes, pun intended, in the trucking industry about what path you can go down. But what I thought was the most interesting was at the core of the trucking companies is the technology that supports how they do logistics, how they do routing, how they do hauling, what they haul, when they haul it. There's a technology infrastructure that supports a lot of these things. So when we think about cyber is separate from trucking, what we're really saying is that we're all integrated in an economy that's extremely complicated and needs work. So they are different. There's a building to grow within each of the organizations. Our most important part is to create a bridge between organizations. Once we do that, we start to help them credential. And the third part is be a talent and a labor pool that can you, you can help grow your organization with. So that's where the people part of it comes into play. But that's also the organizations we're working with. How do we cultivate and grow our own people within the organizations that we support? No, I appreciate that. And I was being a bit disingenuous because I was an 88 Mike yep. for 22 years there in the go. military. And as a senior NCO, I realized that it was more than just the delivery, right? That it was the communication and really thinking about the civilian logistics industry. It is about the people who are doing the delivery stuff, but also their infrastructure. And this was, I think, the light bulb moment that you just helped me have was that their infrastructure, their digital and technological infrastructure is vulnerable to disruption. And so the disruption in our logistics system is not just a lack of workers, it's also disruption in their technology. And that's where cybersecurity comes in to secure the technology that is used in our logistics infrastructure. I think that's very well said. I, I think it's very well said. I agree with you. And I would also say, I continue to say that we try to make these things simple. We try to make these things sound simple, black and white. You're either a truck driver or you're not, or you're a cyber specialist or you're not, cultivated talent, well-rounded talent that has well experience like you generally get in the military, do very well when they've gone through the transition and they, the very difficult hurdle of creating their military experience and apply that to their industry. And so why I'm saying that is we live in a pretty complicated world. There's a lot of nuance that we need to work through. There's a lot of credentialing that we need to do, work through. I've worked for big companies and those big companies have 15, 20,000 people. I've served in the military with 1.4 million people. It's very different and very difficult to go across a third company and see one consistent culture across the entire organization. Every unit has their own DRAs. Every unit has their own culture. Every region has their own specific culture, language, a way of doing business. A lot of different things have to happen. And what we need are people that understand how to get the job done, wherever that job has to get done at. And so that continues to be the point. Military folks 
because of our background or because of the people that we meet, the very first day we're in basic training, have to work with people up and down the socioeconomics categories across diverse places. And they have to understand how to get something done. And that, that skill, that how do we get something done? How do I get a show up to work on that? How do I do the work? That's transferable across any organization in any industry. It's just a matter of where specifically do you apply your time and talent and your energy to be able to go do that. So that's a long way of me saying military folks, spouses, veterans, whether you're active guard or reserve, whether you're still in service, and how are you doing, are valuable assets because of the things that they've learned in their service. And our job at Task Force Movement and our job as industry is to help bridge the gap between those veterans to industry and whatever firm that looks like. No, and I appreciate that distinction too, because as you were talking, I'm thinking when I left the 82nd Airborne Division and I was stationed in Germany, two very different cultures in the units. And my wife, as a military spouse, leaving Fort Bragg and that culture there to obviously adapting to a different culture in Germany, not only are we transferable like in space in jobs, but also we have the ability to adapt to different cultures. And I think that's the other piece of what Task Force Movement, we talked a little bit about the importance of plugging service members, veterans, and their families into the industry. But also, as you had mentioned before, there's the how do we get the talent that's there, the veterans and their spouses, and help leverage them and bridge them into those different areas. That's right. I'm going to make a funny anecdote from my life. So my, I have a little brother, big brothers, big sisters, the numbers, an organization that I believe in a lot. So I was a big brother mentor about 15 years ago to a little brother in the Philadelphia area. My little brother, he's overcome a lot, a lot more than I want to talk about here, but he graduated from high school in Philadelphia. He was living in his car at the time, but I lived in a car at the time and he graduated from high school. So that's just, there's a lot more that goes into it, but that's, that's where we start. He graduates from high school, he goes on to a trade school. Finished his trade school and he decided to join the army, much to my joy. He goes to Fort Benning. He puts on his blue ribbon, becomes an infantry. He goes to Fort Stewart. Does a couple weeks, does his first contract for Fort Stewart. He says, hey, he goes, hey, Bob, hey, Bob, I'm going to go over to Germany right now. I got a rotation over there I get to go to. That's how awesome. So he goes over to Germany and he marries a woman there. And then he just has a kid recently. So. I say that because there's this kid that they grew up in Philadelphia who grew up in a difficult home environment, home life, joins the military, gets to live all across the world now, just live in different places. And I'm just excited that when he decides to depart from the military, because we all leave at some point in time, we'll have the experience of the experience of the brotherhood and the fraternity of having served in the military and the cultural experience of having lived in Georgia and in Germany and then Traveling through the Czech Republic. All the things that he's done now, that I'm a little jealous of, it's really impressive that he's been able to do that. My my point in saying that story about my personal story is we've got 1.4 million people that serve in the army. We've got another 750,000 serving the Navy. Got a couple of 500,000 serving the Air Force. We've got 5 million people, give or take, that are across our, our Department of Defense. Those 5 million people just come with exceptional stories, exceptional backgrounds. And our job continues to be, hey, it's really nice to talk about hiring veterans. It's really cute to put that on your company's website and say, we're pro-veteran, we're pro-military, we're pro those things. Nothing is better than helping somebody transition into a new job. And the traits and characteristics that we've built from our military service, using my little brother as an example. In what world does a kid like that get to go live in Germany? And you have to shake hands with some ambassador a couple of weeks ago. 
And what really does that happen other than the United States of America and in our Department of Defense, where you can go from one place to the next place. And our job is to help them transition to the next job after that. And I think that's a, that it's a, it, as you mentioned, suburban kid from St. Louis, I've been to more countries and I've been to states, right? And that's really the story of the military and then being able to adapt that in our veterans and their spouses to really come back home and support the country and the work we're doing. Dan, this has been great. I'd love to be able to hear if people want to find out more about Task Force Movement, Task Force Cyber, maybe get connected. How can they do that? Yeah, I mean, there's a worldwide web out there. We've got a website. It's called TaskForceMovement.org. We've spent a quite a bit of time there. So you can reach out to that website. And you can reach out to me on LinkedIn, uh, DG Coons. There's no storage of ways to get a load of us. Probably starts with the website. And we've got a whole group of great people that are working with us right now. Make sure that when you do reach out to us, that your time and your talent are used and not just languish on the sideline someplace. No, that's great. I'll make sure that all those links are included in the show notes. Thank you so much for coming on the show today. Thank you, Dwayne. This has been great. Once again, we would like to thank this week's sponsor, Comcast. Comcast creates incredible technology and entertainment that connects millions of people to the moments and experiences that matter most. You can find out more about how they support the military-affiliated population by going to corporate.comcast.com forward slash impact forward slash military. Again, I appreciate you sticking with the episode through the bit of odd audio on Dan's side. My conversation with Dan, which is the third in the series highlighting the work of Task Force Movement after episode 105 with former Congressman Patrick J. Murphy and episode 109 with Liz Belcaster, helped me look at this initiative in an even deeper and rich way. I had a couple of aha moments during this conversation, which you heard me reference during the episode. Task Force Movement was initially about how to address two different problems, the difficulty that some have in transitioning from a military career to a post-military career, and the challenges that our country is having in the supply chain and transportation industry. That then evolved into a third challenge, the same difficulties we're seeing in our cybersecurity workforce, and eventually will lead to other industries like healthcare. But one thing that Dan helped me understand is that task force movement is not entirely about helping veterans find jobs in these particular industries. It's about helping service members, veterans, and their families move from wherever they are in their military career to any industry that they want to explore. It's not the movement of goods and materials. It's movement as in the progression of career trajectory. It's sort of like one of those negative space optical illusions where you think you're staring at a picture of two people talking and then realize that you're looking at a goblet. Once you make that shift in thinking that it's not only about helping veterans find jobs in the transportation or cybersecurity industry, it's about helping people move from one industry, the military, to any other industry they want to explore. That's when all sorts of possibilities come into play. The industry may change, the person may change, but the infrastructure to help them move from one to the other is replicable and adaptable. And that's what makes this concept exciting. The other aha moment that I had was how the seemingly different goals of supporting the transportation and supply industry and supporting the cybersecurity industry are actually integrated. Listen, I referenced it in the episode. I spent 22 years in transportation and logistics in the military. I don't mention it often because when I do, people make certain assumptions. Let me put it this way. When I joined the Army back in the early 90s and I told my recruiter that I had chosen a job as an 88 Mike or motor transport operator, he literally said to me, wow. We all thought you were smarter than that. There is a belief that truck drivers or workers in the transportation industry are somewhat simple, uneducated, and have to settle for lesser jobs. Just ask a Marine what they think about Motor T Marines. I've heard a lot of stories. But having served in the career field 
and had options to change jobs several times while I was in the military, but I didn't. I know how complex, dynamic, and overall critical the job is. The largest logistical movement in Europe since World War II was when the 1st Infantry Division replaced the 1st Armored Division in Bosnia in 1996. Two entire divisions worth of people and equipment was swapped out in a matter of months. My battalion was a key part of that. During the height of the surge in Iraq, I and my team were responsible for transitioning seven battalions out of Baghdad and seven different battalions into Baghdad simultaneously. Our small one-mile square camp, Rustamaya, looked like the Port of Baltimore with shipping containers stacked four high and six deep. In Afghanistan, if it weren't for units like mine securing the routes for food, water, materials, and fuel, our far-flung forward operating bases and combat outposts would have been cut off in a matter of weeks, if not days. So you're not going to hear any arguments from me about the importance of the transportation and supply chain industry. I've lived it and know exactly how important it is. Even with my experience, however, I didn't make the intuitive leap from how task force movement went from supporting the transportation industry to task force cyber until this conversation with Dan. And I think back to all of the technology that we use to track those divisions, those brigades, to communicate along those routes in Afghanistan. From radio frequency identification devices, RFID tags, to the good old Blue Force tracker, satellite phones, radio communications, the technology infrastructure of the supply chain is as vulnerable to disruption as the workforce infrastructure. They're not two separate things, they're integrated. And as you consider the concept of task force movement is not limited to these two industries, then you see how the cybersecurity infrastructure of other industries are vulnerable to disruption. Banking and finance, oil and gas, healthcare, education, entertainment. So task force cyber can now serve as a hub, a workforce that can be adaptable to any industry and serve as a viable post-military or even concurrent military option for those who serve and their families. So I hope you appreciated this conversation with Dan as much as I did. If you did, we'd appreciate hearing from you. So if you do have some feedback, let us know. Drop a review in your podcast player of choice or send us an email at info at We're always glad to hear from listeners, both feedback on the show and suggestions for future guests. For this week's Psychomer Resource of the Week, I'd like to reshare the other two episodes in this series, our conversation with former Pennsylvania Congressman and the 32nd Undersecretary of the Army, Patrick J. Murphy, on episode 105, and our conversation with the Senior Advisor of Communications and Public Relations for Task Force Movement, Liz Belcaster, on episode 109. All three of these episodes provides a comprehensive introduction to the efforts of Task Force Movement and Task Force Cyber and will be linked in the show notes. So thanks for taking the time to listen to this episode. Make sure to take a look at the show notes, which you can find in the podcast app, as well as on the PsychArmor website at psycharmor.org forward slash podcast. While you're there, you can find hundreds of online training videos delivered by nationally recognized subject matter experts who are committed to educating the civilian community about military culture. All of these courses are free to individual learners. You wouldn't be listening if you didn't care, and it's that curiosity and passion for supporting service members, veterans, and their families that we want to encourage and increase. Come back each week for another conversation and make sure to engage with PsychArmor on social media to let us know what you think about the show. I'd like to express special thanks to Operation Encore and Navy Seahawk pilot Jerry Maniscalco for our theme song, Don't Kill the Messenger. This show was produced by Headspace and Timing and all rights to the show remain reserved by PsychArmor. Much appreciation to the team at PsychArmor that makes this show happen. Carol Turner, Vice President of Strategic Communications, who keeps me on track and is an outstanding guest coordinator, and support and transcripts by Emma Atherall. Feel free to share the show. In fact, we request that you do, but make sure to let folks know where you heard it. Join us next time for another great episode, and until then, stay aware, get educated, 
and be well.